Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Post Questionnaire. 35 questions giving us insight into what makes creative people tick. Hi, Caroline. Today we're in for a treat and something that I actually know will be really profoundly inspiring and also funny and entertaining. Yes, and this was such a coup on your part to um, persuade our current guest to come and talk to us on the podcast, Anna Devere Smith, the formidable, famous, fantastically talented actor, performer, writer, activist, teacher. We did this interview um, with Anna Devere Smith in the spring before the pandemic, before the killing of George Floyd. Um, But it was a tremendously, nevertheless, um, inspiring and engaging conversation. And it was particularly fun because she's a colleague of yours at NYU. And we got to speak with her in a, in one of her classrooms at NYU. Which was amazing because in some ways when she came, she really, she gave us an hour of her time. And as you said, she's on stage, her piece notes from the field, um, doing time in education is kind of about the sort of systematic uh, way in which uh, especially students of color are disadvantaged in the system. And she's tackled that by interviewing teachers, educators, parents, students, and turning that into theater pieces that are now on HBO, have been running all over the country. When we met her, she was about to go into class. And I just remember, apart from many of the answers that our listeners are about to hear, the incredible focus that she was already so present and you could feel and to be in the presence of a great teacher means to be somebody who's really, she was gathering all of her energy for the students for that day. And I think she was about to teach for six hours straight. Yeah. You could feel there was as as if you're seeing a great actor about to go on stage and all she was doing going into the classroom next door. Yeah. And she talked to us how she had, so we'll hear a little bit about her teaching, her, um, her art, her, how she thinks about the connection between art and activism. And uh, we, of course, do this uh, podcast to learn, actually. I think we just kind of want to give people an opportunity, and if they are kind and gracious enough to join us, to actually have this conversation about how do you turn your own potential to do something into the capacity to transform the whole world. Yeah. Yeah. No, she is just, she's such an inspiring figure and she's accomplished so much uh, in her lifetime, in her, in her career. And yeah, there was this real sense for me as well. And you and I are both professors too. You teach at NYU with Anna Devere Smith. I'm at Barnard College and Columbia University uptown in New York city. And you and I both know something about the tremendous energy and focus that it takes to to be effective in the classroom and the idea that she could uh, marshal that kind of force for her students after marshalling that kind of force and focus and energy in her conversation with us was doubly impressive I'm, I usually can't talk to anybody for like an hour before I go into the classroom because I just I, I'm, I'm too scattered otherwise <laughs> that's why it's nice for the two of us so in some ways I think for the for the two of us it was an experience of being truly inspired and kind of odd. And the thing I think that we both know as teachers, as teachers, you're learning the entire time. You're learning from your students and you, every class you prepare for a new, and there's no almost, there's, you rehearse, you, you try to do everything, but you are also just going in as if it's a new situation. And I remember from this conversation, I loved Anna's talks about being on the beach in California and everything she says about the wave. So once people get to listen to this, they're very funny answers and very profound at the same time. Anna Devere Smith is on Instagram as Anna Devere Smith. It's D-E-A-V-E-R-E. So Anna Devere Smith can be found there. 
The podcast has an Instagram, uh, pus.questionnaire. We also have a website, pusquestionnaire.net. And I'm on Instagram as ulinyc. It's U-L-I-N-Y-C. And Caroline, you're also on Instagram. And I love always uh, seeing your Instagram. So tell us what the handle is so people can find you as well. Oh, yes. It's Caroline Weber 2020 with numbers instead of words at the end. And um, yeah, you were one of my first friends on Instagram. I, I came very late to the whole social media game, but it's it's a lot of fun. And um, and yeah, so it's a way that people can go on and find out more about us if, if anyone's interested in what we're doing. But the main thing we're excited about always and interested in the most is the guests that we're uh, talking to. And with Anna Devere Smith, we really got someone very, very special. So if you're imagining we... What we did, we so we're going to take you into this uh, conversation in a minute. And we went into a room, and it was sort of in Lower Midtown, Manhattan. It was a Sunday, and she was teaching all day on Sunday. And it was a kind of unusual building for some people, but not for us. It's kind of an industrial building. It's been converted into acting studios. So we were sitting in this big space on two chairs. And um, then Anna comes in. So let's tune in and hear uh, how she responded to these 35 questions. Fantastic. Welcome to the post questionnaire. Thank you. So we'll start with the first question on this questionnaire, which is, um, what is your idea of perfect happiness? Um, I like the water and... um, and Bolinas, California, is a place where I experience extraordinary happiness. I have a friend there who um, has a few houses uh, there, and she's incredibly generous mm-hmm. about those homes. And, uh, you know, and all you have to kind of do is call her manager, her house manager, and say, well, are any of the houses available? And, uh, and one of them is a cottage that's up on a hill. And from it, I can see, I'm looking at the Pacific Ocean, but on a clear day, I can see this part of the skyline of San Francisco. Wow. And on the one side is this very snobby area called Stinson Beach, mm-hmm. with all these suckagated community. I can see down to that. And then on the other side is Bolinas, which is like a sort of rough surfer sound that has managed to stay that way every time... Uh, I guess the state or the roads commission or whatever puts up the sign to say, Bolinas, that way, Mm -hmm. people tear it down. (laughs) And um, the gas station, the gas is more expensive uh, because they give the money to the homeless. They don't chase the homeless off the streets. So you see these people who are like old, old hippies, (laughs) you know, dancing in the street. You know, there's this bar that's just like this beat up, beat up place. Nobody's changed it. It just stays this bar with these people when I go get my coffee in the morning who are, I mean, they look really down and out. <laughs> I mean, but there's no shelter for down and out people. Right. And so I love the feeling there. And I love sitting on her outside, this outside sort of deck. And, you know, I see these people waiting for the surf. It's not like a dynamic surf, mm-hmm. but to me, it's just hope. Like they're there at sundown, still mm-hmm. waiting for a wave. <laughs> oh my god! I like that. And it's really where I've gone when I just have to like be away. I went there uh, right before I brought Notes from the Field to New York. Okay, I'd had a very challenging though successful time in Boston mm-hmm. with the show, and I just went there and I just sat out there and kind of listen to the same songs over and over again <laughs> under my headphones. Open for a wave. And I was hoping for a, <laughs> I was for hoping a for a wave right. of energy. Right. I was hoping right. for a wave of courage, right. like right. New right. York, and I'm beat, and I'm right. tired. And, man, so I was waiting for a wave, <laughs> too. Right. Exactly. And, and you got a wave, it sounds like. Yes. I found, you survived I New found York. a kind of wave. The show was very successful mm-hmm. in New York. And, I mean, I found a kind of a wave. Um, yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, I always I find a wave there. The tiny place with the fireplace. Can't find many places wood burn fire places anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's heaven. That's happiness. And the second question is, what is your greatest fear? I can't say failure because a, a lot of people think that I take risks. Or not a lot of people, but what does it mean when somebody says you're so brave? Maybe it means they don't. 
maybe they have a lot of fear, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid of heights, uh, afraid of losing my sight. Um, yeah, I think I think uh, it would all be in that category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, what is the trait you most deplore in yourself? It's a really great question. Envy. Hmm. And I, 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 I think I'm. I don't think I'm any more envious than other people. In fact, I think I'm less. John Lar, uh, who was Bert Lar's son and 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 was great critic. Uh, and, and, and writer uh, for the New Yorker for a long time, wrote, I remember, I never read the piece. Uh, <laughs> I don't read what's written about me, so maybe I'm afraid of that. You know, I don't read what's written about me. I don't like to look at photographs, never have. It's not just about getting older. Um, don't read reviews. Don't read even like, some of the times last Sunday, somebody brought it to me on the plane yesterday thinking it was a, and I just like took it. Hit it. Crumple, crumple. <laughs> I don't want to read it. I don't want to know, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, and my rule is whether it's good or bad, I don't read it. I just say when people say, I, say, I don't read reviews. That's I, and this wasn't even a review. It's just like, I'm not reading it. I don't yeah. read it. I suppose that's offensive to the writer. Um, but he wrote that the biggest, he, and I'll never forget this, he, he, he said to me, and then I, I'm pretty sure it was in the piece too, but whatever. But he said to me, I remember he said to me, the, not the most popular, but the most prevalent emotion in Los Angeles is envy. Oh. <laughs> and I felt that's right. Mm-hmm. You really? know, because even when you, like, have to go and talk to, it's nothing very, I, I can't think of an actress mm-hmm. or an actor who would love being judged in an audition or something like that. Or when you go pitch, I mean, it's an art form, really. Mm-hmm. You, you guys have to do it all the time. Um, and it's elegant. It's probably just as elegant in Hollywood as it is in the publishing world. It, it mm-hmm. is. Okay. But there's this feeling there. That's, it's just like a really bad feeling. And it's that you're being judged. But I also think it's because people come to work every day full of envy of oh, what God. just happened. Right. And um, I, it's in the theater. I don't know if it's in the academy. I think it's in the academy. Oh, a little bit. Oh, a little bit. So, so, you know, I, when, I, when I feel that in myself, yeah. and especially now that I'm older, I feel like, you know what? You know, drop that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, or I'll go, oh, I don't want to do this, or I don't want to do that. That's envy. So you can catch it when you I feel can catch it. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's some friends of mine who do, like, AA and NA, those programs, uh, always have these slogans that always, to me, sound very, very helpful, actually. And one of them is compare, despair. And this idea that if you're enviously comparing yourself all the time, it only leads to a bad place. But I also think in our professions, yeah. it's like an epidemic, yeah. like narcissism. Yeah. And, you know, it's just all around you. <laughs> you just have to be aware that it's there and be free of it. I mean, to me, it's like freedom or I'm not going to name a name. There's an incredibly famous playwright. Mm. Never went to see anybody's work. Oh. I mean, this individual is really revered, really revered. And when oh, I read that, also, I think it was, I think it was a John Lark All right. profile of this individual. And I was like, I was like, I'm done. Mm. I do mm. not revere you. Why can't you go see other people's work? Yeah. What's that about? Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not saying it's about envy, but it's certainly a lack of interest. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly. Yeah. yeah. No, and it, yeah, it's a narrowness, right? Like, how can you not be interested in what your peers are doing, what other people are doing? Well, so here's a perhaps related question. What is the trait you most deplore in others? Uh, an overabundance of judgment hmm. of others. All right. Makes me feel really be a bad, bad to be around people like that. Yeah. Is, would you say that's rampant in L.A. too? Or? Oh, which is the whole business, everything is. I mean, yeah. all of us in our professions right. are, I don't think, does it really need to be a part of it? Right. I don't know. You know, my, my students, um, everybody has a role. It sounds like kindergarten, but actually it's very interesting. Everybody in the class, I have 20 students. I usually like to have 12. I have 20 this year. Hmm. They all have to take a role, which is like, some of it is like, 
really like the class custodian. Oh. But think about it. Yeah. But what is that really about? Because the, we don't really want to think of it. Nobody wants to be a custodian anymore. But what is a custodian doing? And if we really looked it up, yeah. you know, it's taking care of things. It's That's respecting right. things. It's making sure everything's okay, right? Mm-hmm. So we have class custodian. And one of the people has to, used to be that they had to do the seating. Oh. Which seems okay. like, well, what's that? I mean, and in the past, I've been doing this for about six years. They just come in, I think, and, well, this is easy role. Just randomly put them. so this year you know I really engaged with this person and we really thought about it like well think about it like there's a fairy tale about somebody who turned into a witch basically because there was no place for that individual at the table mm-hmm. what does it mean there's no place for me or you and we both know if we go to a thing and oh, we're yeah. looking up and down that table for our name card oh, yeah. there's something about it we talk about all these things envy judgment and things. Yeah. where are we seated is yeah. huge and so after, hmm. you know, I had this sort of deeper conversation with her, she said, well, I think everybody will feel judged. Hmm. And I said, well, first of all, here at New York University, this is not a judgment-free environment. So right. why, I'm not creating a utopia in my class. That, so that's number one. That. Yeah. That's number one. Mm-hmm. But number two, maybe there are other ways to organize people. Yeah. So she sent out a questionnaire. And last week, they were, like, stunned that, huh. like, like the whole half of the room was water signs because one of her questions was, Interesting. Oh. you know, birth sign. Yeah. How did you come to that system? That's, that's fascinating to give everyone be, a role. Like how did you decide upon how Because, you know, I felt that I, I, it bothered me that mm-hmm. here at New York University where a lot of people will tell you less now than, say, in 2003 mm-hmm. when there were five suicides, All right. student suicides. You know, people will say, if you say, what's good about NYU? Let's say it's in New York. So there's this way in which, and they have improved over those these last 16 years, but, you know, there's a way in which I think some, sometimes we take for granted that we're a community. And I just thought that my students particularly like I bring guests in last week, this woman who was a singer for the Stones for, since 1986. I mean, I bring in people, you know, and like they'll just walk out like nothing happened. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> on to the next thing. You mean the students will walk out? Yeah. Like, yeah. And forget about saying thank you. Oh, and, God. you know, and I go other places, you know, to talk or whatever. And it's often just more gracious than it is here. Not everywhere. So it's good to teach them but how to build their own community. How to, well, because you can't, you can't, you can't take it for granted. Right. A group is not a community. Right. Yeah. And in order to do the best work, you need to be in a community. And, and the communities I've worked in, particularly in working, that have given thought to that, whether they realize it or not, even if it's hierarchical, which is like the problem with her question. Sure. You know, even if it's hierarchical, if you see that everyone, like let's say at a table read, you know, you can tell that everyone has a job to do and they can't wait. They're looking for the opportunity to do their job. Mm. It's a whole different environment to work in. Uh, that's fascinating. Um, which living person do you most admire? Another easy one. I don't have a most admire. Mm. I just got off the phone. Uh, I, have a men- I have a couple mentees and one of them had said he wanted to talk to me about something he was writing. And I, you know, so I said, I figured I'd talk to him in the cab right here. And then he dropped a bomb on me about something in his life that is just like, I mean, even the cab driver, like when he was getting out of the cab, opened the door was helping me out because I was like, what? He just dropped this bomb on me. Oh, my God. And I admire him for the way he struggles. Uh... Uh, I have another mentee who's just out of, I keep saying he's just out of Juilliard. He's been out for a while. Great jazz pianist. I admire him. I admire them. Um, you know, I, I just I admire a lot of people. Uh, you know, I'm, prob- I'm not going to go to a famous person. Um, I think it's really complicated uh, that people who are in power or famous, I think... Uh, I would say um, I don't know about admiring because mm-hmm. I think these constructs are, are very complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people around them. Right. 
Um, there's a way in which they've been able to hold on to their values in spite of us being in a very toxic world, right now in particular. So I think, especially now, it's very difficult to say who I admire. Yeah. Now, what is your greatest extravagance? Um, I spend too much money on travel. Um, I, I spend too much money on good hotels. Uh, I tell myself and people that my hobby is hospitality. I mean, there's some truth to it. <laughs> but I'm, I think it's okay. probably unnecessary. Uh, what is your current state of mind? Well, I mean, you know, I, I think everything's okay. I mean, I'm getting ready. You know, there's a certain, not today, there's no adrenaline because I just got off a plane late last night and slept. Um, I think I might be fighting a cold. I, I, I'm usually pretty ramped up about going in there, teaching them. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, and, and, and most days there's something to be excited about. I'm very concerned, as most people are, about our country. And I don't know, am I depressed? I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I truly don't understand what's happening mm -hmm. to it with us and also elsewhere in the world. So am I scared? I don't know. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm standing looking at something that I know is so much bigger than me. And I, I wish I had the time to go around and understand it, whether it is to do the obvious thing, go talk to Trump supporters, or whether it's to find a philosopher or a historian who's not going to just say it's the Third Reich. Right. But who can tell me in depth what's going on. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Mm -hmm. What do you consider the most overrated virtue? of what the public thinks is a good... Oh, well, I mean, money. Hmm. Make money. Yeah. Um, what people call beauty that's not beauty, hmm. which is not even fashion. It's the presentation of self that is based on very often already decided ways that one should present oneself. That's a part of a huge industry part of which I'm involved in, the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I, mean, I think fashion's great. Uh, I think beauty's life-saving. That's Elaine Scary. that's not my idea. Uh, but talking to her, I've come to believe that. So it's not about beauty, that's not the problem. It's just this kind of, you know, when I was little, the colored community, which I'm deliberately saying the colored community, um, They'd say, you know, to a girl, stop switching. <laughs> Which meant like walking down the street flaunting yourself. Switching. Stop mm. switching. And I still got a lot of people walking around <laughs> switching right now. Why? What do we have to switch about? <laughs> like a swagger. Mm -hmm. I don't enjoy a swagger the way most people do. Mm. All right. <laughs> I also don't enjoy confidence the way most people do. Oh. I tell them that every time I start teaching, I say confidence is overrated, give that a try. I don't admire confidence. Mm -hmm. no. On what occasion, if any, do you lie? Boy, that's good. Um, well, what's a lie? You tell us. <laughs> I was in Washington and had done about my 365th interview, I'm making that number up, when the Monica Lewinsky story dropped. And I had been there already. I thought it was finished, like trying to learn about the press and their relationship to the president, you know, going all the way back to Jefferson. Sure. And Clinton was an interesting president because they didn't like him, you know. Um, in fact, when I finally got an interview with him, and, you know, when, when you know you have limited time, you better have the right question. My question was, Mr. President, this is before Monica Lewinsky, Mr. President, do you feel like you're being treated like a common criminal? And, you know, Rahm Emanuel had to come in and break the meeting up because it went on, like, for it was over a half hour. He had a lot to say about that. Um, what was the question? But on what occasion do you lie? 
So, so, so the matter of lying came up then. With President Clinton. Oh, yeah. And so I was thinking about lying. Here's the point. So I called my sister, who had a two-year-old, and I said, has Elizabeth started to lie yet? (gasps) And there was this long pause, and my sister said, she makes up stories like, where's daddy's shoes? Jessica, the cat, ate them. Mm-hmm. Right? So lying, what's a lie? I mean, I think a real lie is very deliberate and planned, right? <laughs> um, I think it's hard to tell the complete truth uh, if you're going to quote unquote hurt somebody's feelings. Uh, but I think, you know, when you say fear, too, I'm very afraid of getting in trouble and always have been, when I'm, even from a child. So I'm probably afraid. I am afraid to tell a real, flat, straight out lie. Okay, just because the you're prospect get, of getting you're caught. You're going to get caught. I mean, it's not like I'm like a nun or I'm virtuous. My fear of getting caught <laughs> keeps me from telling a real big lie. Okay, yeah. well. Like a Jeffrey Epstein type of, you know, a lie. <laughs> What I this question is so strange, and Willie and I have kind of made the decision to keep these questions from the 1890s, but um, I sort of apologize in advance because I don't approve of the question. What do you most dislike about your appearance? Huh. Uh, well, I, I, I'm surprised, except which I don't like getting older. I never thought I would care about it because I've never been invested for a variety of reasons that also aren't virtuous, but sort of the way I'm made up in my biography, I've not been um, invested in, I never was, I never switched (laughs) that way. Nobody ever had to tell me to stop switching. And so I've never switched or swaggered my appearance for any reason ever, ever, ever in my whole life. That's a long time. So I'm surprised the extent to which now aging bothers me. Because I didn't see it coming. You know, I'd see my friends who were 40, start to worry about it, and I'd be like, well, I don't have to worry about that because I was never invested in this. It was never, any, it was never a commodity for me. I never got anything for my appearance. Or when I was younger, you know, I remember this guy saying to me, you're, you're, you're what did she, he say? He said something like, you're fine, but you don't use it. Or huh. like they would say, uh, you're attractive, but you don't know. Like pe- men and women, right. you know, that's what people say. Yeah. So, but, so I think that even that is interesting. Like, I, I think I feel invisible. And, and um, but now that I'm older, I don't feel so invisible anymore. Mm. So it's kind of like too late mm. to be aware of any aspect of my visibility. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Which living person do you most despise? Donald Trump. Okay. That one was very easy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Two words. That's a that's a favorite answer among our our interviewees. What is the quality you most like in a man? A lot of my work is about men. Um, I have a play on right now, Fires in the Mirror, and I campaign for them to hire a man, not a woman, for a one-woman show. But I think I upset everybody because at first I was just like mama bear and everybody's so happy to have me around <laughs> as a playwright. Yeah. And uh, one day I left a performance and I said to the director, I said, there's nothing feminine about this. Everybody got very upset with me. And having a man do the show, hmm. which is I felt that maleness had to be articulated but it showed me how male it already was without a man. So that anything that was feminine was like, it almost disappears. So I've dedicated a lot of my work to men, black men. Uh, And I think um, what I admire, what would I say I admire the most about men? Uh, I, I suppose if a man understands, fully understands his uh, physical power uh, 
and has based a system of respect around that. Like one of the men I admire the most, I admire the word you used, Mm -hmm. is a former heavyweight boxing champion. Mm -hmm. He won the world championship. And and he got hit in the head and he could never box anymore. And he has trained me and he worked with me very closely on notes from the field, which is really about men. Traveled with me, was, you know, and, 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 and in performance he would come by, like, Every night, he'd say, knock on the door. Nobody can come in, but he could. Good luck, champ. Well. Or if I had a hard time, I was having a hard time, and he came in, and I was crying, and he just looked at me, and he started crying, too. He said, of course you're scared because you're the champ. And on the other side, there are white men who, when I was a young professor, had a very rough time on the tenure track at USC. They still should be sued. Um, who understood that they were white men. This is in the 80s. Hmm. And I was a black woman being slapped around on the tenure track by white men. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I will always respect how they, and they get, they really show, like one man called me up and said, in this whole thing, which is outrageous, never ever use the word racist. He said, they know. Don't use that word in any meeting. Because it'll shut it down. He said, they know they're racist. You don't, don't tell them that. Some of the best advice I ever got. So you followed that advice? Absolutely. And yeah. even now I'm very careful, careful when I drop it. Right. You know, now I drop it more often because I sort of have less to lose. Hmm. What's the quality you most like in a woman? Well, that these are both very hard questions yeah. because, you know, it's like in both. First of all, what an odd time to be talking about men and women well, when it's all you know fluid. Precisely. And, you know, stuff like that, and we're all questioning that. Sure. It's part of the datedness of the questionnaire. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that, um, and probably the, the sort of fashion of the time. Sure. Right? I mean, I think for both genders, certainly kindness is what I admire the most. I think it's, too, is how an individual uses their, their asset, regardless of. So Michael Ben, who's the mm-hmm. boxing champion, was using <clears throat> to help me everything he knew about fear and power. Plus, he was this, this big black man who just insisted on walking with me everywhere, which was just great. Um, I think, like, I have two friends who were professional models, and I admire, in the case of one who was first supermodel, Lauren Hutton, um, that she thinks it's hilarious. Deep down. I mean, yeah. it's like, yeah, yeah. She, it's like maybe about both. I, I, I admire people who have power and don't take it too serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. it's fairly they, rare. They're transparent about yeah. it. You yeah. Know? Right. I had to interview her once for Vogue on, it was an article on the history of the cover model or the kind of the face. Yeah. And it was at a time when um, Revlon or one of the cosmetics companies had just decided to put some women of color in one of its campaigns. And Lauren Hutton was one of the funniest people I talked to. Um, And again, not taking it too seriously and not disparaging the job because it's a job. Well, it's also because she's so much more than pretty. Yeah, that you're not going to be reduced to the face. Are there words or phrases do you, you, that you overuse? The question is, which words, words or phrases do you most overuse? I think the phrase, I don't know, <laughs> I use that a lot. I would say that. Okay. okay. What or who is the greatest love of your life? What or who? Um, well, a great love of my life just died. Uh, Jesse Norman. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I didn't meet Jesse until the 90s. And somewhere in in my knowing her and then friendship, uh, you know, we started signing letters, a uh, letter from her signed from Big Sis and me from Little Sis. And uh, I was crazy about her. It's extraordinary. And, um, you know, Jesse was a phenomenon. 
that's why the thing about judgment or just fairness mm-hmm. in my students is like, mm, why don't we talk about that? I mean, do you know what I mean? Right. So, yeah, I mean, so I think my, the, the what of the great love of my life is, is beauty in any form, mm-hmm. whether it's physical beauty or whether it's like the beauty of a voice or something that somebody did that works well, you know, Jeannie Gang's building in Chicago, you know, it's, it's something that um, I've been falling in love with Max Richter's music, uh, saw a very odd concert of it in a really weird place about a month ago, crazy about Ella Fitzgerald right now, so I think that's it, it's beauty in all forms. Yeah. When and where were you happiest? Last time I was in Bolinas. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Um, which talent would you most like to have that you don't have? Well, two things. Uh, I mean, I would love to say singing because I love singers, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Get alluded to Lisa Fisher, who sang with the Stones for all those years, came to my class last week, and Jesse, and I've been talking about musicians. Um, I wish I had a photographic memory. That would come in handy. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? And I know people who do, and I'm jealous of that. Yeah. I'm actually... Envy. Um, you, cl- you have one? No, not at all. But uh, one of my late teachers, who also just passed away, Harold Bloom, had a pretty photographic memory. So he knew the entire canon of British romantic poetry by heart. And then he knew all of modernist poetry. And in a funny way, sometimes he said, it gets in the way. So he would try to remember Hart Crane, and he said, wait, this is Yeats getting in the way. So there was so much. So in his whole theories and anxiety of influence that there's too much of the tradition weighing down on us. So in a funny way, I always thought, how can believe he could recite anything out of the tradition? But he he said twice, I heard him say twice, it's getting in the way. So it's interesting, right, that someone who has a photographic memory. It's different maybe for a conductor, people who have the entire, yeah. entire tradition in their heads. There are people like that. That's amazing. I always talk with my friends who love Proust about the fact that, you know, obviously in an age before internet or before kind of personal photography, accessible personal photography, Proust could see a painting once and write about it 30 years later in incredible detail. And you just think, no, you didn't do a Google image search. You didn't, somebody didn't send you a file of a photograph. Like it is stored. And Proust used to say to his art collector friends, because he hung around with a lot of sort of rich and influential people in in Paris in the early 20th century, late 19th century, he used to say, yeah, I mean, I love going to see these people's art collections, but I don't have any interest in accumulating art. I have an incredible museum in my head. Oh, my God. I know. I envy it, too. I wouldn't care if it got in the way, I think. I would not care if it got in the way one bit. No. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? I wouldn't be afraid of being... Oh, I remember saying to the director, Mike Nichols, I said, you know... You know, I wish on opening night I could just go out in the lobby and say hi to all the critics before the show. And he said, I'll go with you. you know? <laughs> but late Mike Nichols, he wasn't there. You should have brought your boxer. Huh? You should have brought the boxer. Should've the boxer. You could have brought yeah. him I along. I could have brought the boxer. You could have brought him along. I would, yeah. not, I would have liked instilled. not to be afraid. Right. That's what I mean. It's about fear. Of being evaluated. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, let's go. Let's what do you consider your greatest achievement? Isn't this funny? The first thing that comes to mind is when my mother was dying and I was estranged. Or I was not as close to her as her other children. I'm the, I'm the oldest. But when I tell you this, you'll say, well, you were close. I remember walking into the hospital room at Johns Hopkins, and I had a nickname. My nickname was Toogie. For some reason, never outgrew it. This day, my niece will call me Aunt Toogie. Uh, she would be embarrassed if she said it around you, but mm. right? And I walked in, and my mother's best friend, Joyce Hamer, I walked in the room, and my mother's best friend said, Tookie's here. 
And, and, and I had been around. It's not like I had, like, came on the day she died or something. Yeah. I'd been around. You know, I was coming back and forth from New York to Baltimore, which is, you know, and stuff. So, but I, I walked in, and my mother, who was so weak, you know, I remember her just putting her hands up and like that. That's the first thing that came to my mind nice. because nice. when I say that, I think because I kind of left, you know, and everything, and I don't think, I think towards, you know, in my adulthood, and I think she didn't think I cared about her. So that, mm-hmm. that's just one of those things that happens in families. Yeah, oh, yeah. If you were to die and come back as another person or as a thing, who or what would that be? Well, I, then the first thing that came to mind is my dog, Memphis, who died oh. last year, almost this time, at 17 years old. Oh, what kind of and dog? She was a, a mutt, but she was a herder. She was a part of Scraley cattle dog, very smart. And, um, and in fact, I, I feel like when my mother died, Memphis was about a year old. I believed for that whole year, I believed that my mother had become Memphis. I mean, really, like mm-hmm. I took Memphis out to the Hamptons and I just stayed out there like for most of the, all, the whole winter and everything. Mm-hmm. So I felt like <laughs> this was my mother. And a woman came up to me in Cinderella last week and said, she said, I'm one of your neighbors. And I said, oh, oh, which, which apartment? No, no, a different building. But she said, I just want you to know what your dog meant to me and to so many people. Oh. I said, well, you know, she died. She said, I know. But she was just so full of joy and that love. So <laughs> that, that is so great. <laughs> Where would you most like to live? Bellinas. Bellinas. Okay, we got that. Yes. Mm-hmm. You can't say you're not consistent <laughs> in your answers. Um, what is your most treasured possession? Boy, man, I don't know. Maybe I don't. Maybe I. I don't even think like that. I guess um, years ago it would have been my Sony tape recorder, mm. which was like when they first started getting. When they went from like they used to be big boxes. I mean, but it used to be huge things, and you know they got smaller and smaller over the years. And in the '90s, which is sort of when my work hit, Fires in the Mirror, which is on stage right now. You know, t- the, I had gone from a Panasonic, which was about like that big, okay. and I had enough money to buy a Sony, which was about that big. Okay. That's the last time I remember thinking and walking around Crown Heights in the middle of the night. Yeah. My one fear, like in a housing project, I myself, my one fear was they're going to take my tape recorder. Wow. What do you regard as the lowest depth of misery? Ooh, man. Well, I saw when I was getting on the plane on Thursday to go to Los Angeles, there was a woman who, I can't tell what age she was, um, you know, maybe her early 60s, very thin, and uh, she was either, had, had a terrible thing happen to her or had been um, very disabled her whole life. And, um, you know, if you put a Chanel suit on her, you would go, oh, that's like a Brooke Astor type woman. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like that type of, you know, just, yeah. you know. And, um, but Chanel is all about, in a way, that type of, and, but she was really, really disabled. And there was a man with her who had to like, like to lift her up, I mean, like on his whole body and, and put her in a wheelchair. And then it took like, three or four of those airport people to like there was sort of like two or three of those airport people plus that man plus the wheelchair and she was um, screaming and I thought is she you know what does she scream because she's hurt does she scream because she's scared is she screaming because she's excited about the trip? And, you know, as they got closer to the, I was right behind them as they were getting on the plane, she was screaming even more. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, is she scared? And so, I mean, when I was a little girl, if I saw something like that, I would be 
upset for a month. In fact, my mother said that I could, would not be able to be, I wanted to be a psychiatrist. And she said, you can't be one because you're too sensitive. Mm -hmm. Like that would have really shook me up. It shook me up as it was. Yeah. It's not my to be shook up, look at her life. Mm -hmm. And I think um, I was so moved by it. I mean, I think the height of misery would be to absolutely not be able to communicate, which could happen to me tomorrow if I were to have a stroke. Mm. Um, so I think that, right. and to be unable to move or you know. right. What is your favorite occupation? We assume that means if you weren't doing what you're doing. Yeah, um, you know, more and more, sort of transitioning, writing. Right. Yeah. What's your most market characteristic? What does what that mean? People perceive about you when they first meet you. I have what no other people think. idea, Good. and I know that's a psychological <laughs> illness. That's interesting. Okay. I would say I thought I was tall. That's, that's <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, what do you most value in your friends? Um, two things, which I hope I also that they know I deliver. Hmm. Compassion and discretion. Hmm. You know, if you're my friend and somebody, and I have, you know, a couple friends who are well known, nothing's coming out of my mouth. Right. And if I, you know, people try to get around and ask this, that nothing's coming out of my mouth. So I admire that, I, I expect that from my friends and I think it's the best thing I can deliver is compassion, listening and discretion. Mm -hmm. Whatever you tell me, that's it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you have any favorite writers? Well, don't you think those things change over time? Sure. I really, because I'm, you know, sort of, I, it, I, I, I think Shonda Rhimes is pretty cool. And I, I wasn't like a Shondaland person mm -hmm. until I got hired there, which wasn't yeah. until last year, two yeah. years ago. Right. But I, I think, you know, it's like, it first makes, of all, It makes me smile, Hannah, because I love you in that role. I love Well, they didn't pick up the show. It, 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 they pick up again. But she didn't write that. Somebody else wrote it. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I think, you know, that um, the best writing right now, a lot of really good writing is in television. Yeah. At the oh, moment. yeah. So. Who is your hero or heroine of fiction, television, film, Basically, the original question was, who is your hero of fiction, but basically imaginary characters. Imaginary characters. Yeah. A hero. You know, I don't think I have a hero. Okay. In, in um, I, I, you know, I think I, I mean, I understand where that question's coming from. Mm -hmm. I mean, I suppose that's what we would have thought at one era, maybe then. Yeah that writing was all about is delivering a hero, yeah. right? Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, I don't know that I have one. Okay. Do you have a hero in real life? That's the next question. I don't. Okay. Um, what are your favorite names? Names? Names. I like the name Tobias. Why? I don't know. I don't even know if I know a Tobias. I think I do, but I can't even name, they even make an impression on me. Uh, I like the name, um, I think Isaiah is a nice name, is a good name. And like simple names, like Jane, I think Jane is a great name. Molly, you know, just simple. Uh, who was the Senegalese poet? I thought it was, it was a great name. Um, Leopold Senghor. So, yeah, that's a great Leopold. name. The whole name is great. Leopold Senghor. Senghor. I mean, president of Senegal and yeah. a poet. And a poet. Yeah. And, that, a, and a really good poet. A fantastic. Yeah. Leopold Senghor. Yeah. The whole name is a good the name. The whole name that is, is a great in name. itself already the poetic. It's, just, it's a got <laughs> it Sounds yeah. already poetic, right? Yeah. And statesmanlike. Yeah. And statesmanlike. Yeah, but in the in Proust's era, there's at least one woman in his circle whose name was Leopoldine. The feminized version of that, I really kind of love that. I, I like the name Elizabeth, my niece's name then. I thought that was really great, that that's her name. Yeah, yeah. not like applesauce. Yeah. Uh, what is it that you most dislike? Power misused. I mean, everything comes under that, right? Racism, right? 
judgment, homophobia, uh, too much money, not enough money. And what you said much earlier, not being aware of one's power. What you said about men, uh-huh. not being aware of physical, having physical or strength or power. Also that kind of unawareness or abuse. What is your greatest regret? Well, I mean, you know, I, I don't think I'm good enough. Um, I don't mean good like holy. You know, I, I try to be good in that way. I try to be, you know, I try to be good. Uh, but I'm not good enough. You know, I don't feel that I'm good enough in my art form. And um, I hope I have time to get better. How would you like to die? Oh my God, what a question. <laughs> we saved the kickers for the end. Yeah, I mean, I can't remember the name of the guy who had like a book that came out about aging. When you go to the, some markets, especially in Arizona, he's selling products. He has like a beard, uh, famous for either LSD or potted Harvard when that wasn't a cool thing. Hmm. Anyway, Leary? Timothy Leary? No. Um, Robust guy, robust, big beard. Um, I mean, for all of us, right? I mean, like a great life and a fast decline. Mm-hmm. That's a nice, that actually is a nice answer for the next question. Do you have a motto? What is a great life and fast decline? Yeah. <laughs> My motto is confidence is overrated. Give doubt a try. Give doubt a try. Give doubt a try. Okay, and then this is the one question that we've added to the questionnaire, and it is, whom would you most like to see or hear answering these questions? Ideally, a living person. Yeah, I mean, I think Mike Bloomberg is kind of the man of the hour right now. Oh, yeah. Today? Yeah. Mike Bloomberg at this moment, and what we're taping, has not yet decidedly declared whether or not he's running for president. But everybody's thinking it. It's That's kind right. of like, you know, it's kind of, of like, right uh, you know, a jumper. Do you know what I mean? It's like somebody said, somebody's snap <laughs> off the building and we go outside and more boats split over. <laughs> We're all waiting and then he does maybe. jump, maybe. <laughs> jump, jump, jump. Don't. Don't. Don't, don't jump. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, there's so many people. I mean, you could just go right through NYU and just stop people and and and, and get them to, you know, talk to you about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, but Mayor Mike is a good one. Mayor Mike. Mayor Mike. Right. Mayor Mike. Oh. Anna Devere Smith. Thank you so much All for right. doing this I with hope us. It's okay. Thank you so much.